Father, we thank you for this great privilege to read your word. Um, the psalmist says that he delights in your word. It's like food for his soul. It's like um, living water. And so often um, your law seems burdensome or dreary. So help us to see the delight, the joy um, of it, so that it becomes a, um, a spring of living water in our hearts. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, we're on the second word, and um, let's read Exodus chapter 20. I'll read it for you guys. Um, this is the second word, the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So, um, a lot of people have said that uh, the first two commandments seems, uh, the first two words seems very similar. And I think that's true. They're, they are related. And I think there is um, uh, something very profound there, right? Because God says, I have only ten words to tell you. Uh, ten words that I want you to live by. The first word is keep me first. And then the second word is keep me first, right? Um, he repeats himself. He wastes one of the words, right, to say the same thing over again. What does that tell us? It tells us the importance of the first word, that we ought to keep God first. And um, it's the same handout. Yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> um, and then, um, and that we are so prone to forget, right? So this is why God, to some degree, repeats himself. On the other hand, I believe that the second word is telling us something different and something new. It's adding on. And so let's begin. What is actually prohibited in the second commandment? Um, it says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. It's not prohibiting images or art in general, um, simply because it would be a complete contradiction of the whole Bible. There are all kinds of imagery throughout the Bible. For example, Moses is commanded to make a bronze serpent on a, on a stick. Um, in the temple, there's carved imagery of like pomegranates and trees. This is commanded by God. So why would God say, you shall not make images, and then he says, make all these images, right? So it's obviously not that. And I think the key is if you look at verse 5, it says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. So this is not just image in general, but this is bowing down and serving. In other words, what is, what is um, the commandment really talking about? You shall not make for yourself an image of God. Right? That's what that's what's in play here. Um, so that is that clear? So this is proving images of God. Why is making an image of God wrong? Um, and this is the crux of the matter. Okay, so I'm going to write this out because this is where uh, uh, the whole lesson turns on this. Um, what God is prohibiting is our imagination. And I'll elaborate on this. Um, that we are not to use our imagination versus um, God's revelation. So when we use, when we make images, 
um, we're engaging our imagination, and in that sense, it's um, an upward ascent, right? So the direction is we're going upwards. <coughs> Versus in God's revelation, it's a um, God's descent. Um, when we use our imaginations, we create, right? So we create. Versus um, in God's revelation, what do we do? We listen. Right, um, and so God is saying this is prohibited. Right, um, to use our imagination to sort of imagine what God is like, and um, for us to create sort of our a conception of God. And you can see this in in the commandment itself because it says you shall not make for yourself a carved image, right? Um, I actually really like the old King James version, which says um, graven. And what that simply means is that um, it's something that is chiseled or crafted by human hands. So this is getting at the fact that it's man-made. So no man-made images of God, um, but rather that God is to reveal himself in his word. So what is prohibited is um, image. And instead, God wants us to know him and understand him through his word. Right? So no man-made image, word is how we are to know and understand God. This is sort of, we actively imagine, and this is we passively receive or passively listen. Does that make sense? Um, And you can see that in Deuteronomy chapter 4, right? Deuteronomy chapter 4 is, in many ways, an echo of the second commandment. And if you read the text, notice that there's an emphasis on God's self-disclosure being in the word, through his word, and not through his image. Um, and we're again repeated not to, uh, told to not make a carved image for ourselves. So let's read Deuteronomy chapter four. I'll have TJ read it for us. I will interrupt you, so be prepared. Start at eleven. Yeah. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire, to the to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sounds of words that saw no form. There was only a voice. Yeah, so what does it say? It says, you saw no form, right? So it makes the emphasis, there was no image. You saw no image. You only heard a voice. In other words, words. Keep going. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you have no form. Since you saw. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you, the Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, beware, lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. 
Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image in the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Yeah, notice the echo again of Exodus 20. Why are we not to make a carved image for ourselves? Because when God revealed himself, we saw no form, right? But we only heard a voice, the word of God. All right, so um, let's go on to uh, the next question. So wrap up. What is prohibited? An image of God is prohibited. Why? Because we saw no form, we saw no image. And therefore, to make an image would require our imagination, would require us to sort of speculate. This is what God is like. And God says, don't do that. Listen to me. You know, heed my word, right? So, number two, what is the harm of making an image of God? So, let's read Exodus 20. Um, Jeff, can I have you read that? Oh, so this is just this, this setup, right? Exodus 32, this is after God has, uh, Moses has received the Ten Commandments, right? Moses goes down to see, what, the golden calf. And so, go ahead and keep reading. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us God who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And Aaron received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you out, up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Okay, so um, <laughs> this is my rendition of the golden calf because I think it will be helpful for us to look at it, right? Um, <laughs> um, so what happens, right? Uh, Israel, the people of God, become impatient. What? Why is Moses delaying so long up on the mountain. So they become impatient with God, and so they ask Aaron to make for them an image of God. Now, um, the translation there, if you look at verse 4, right, it says at the very end, right, um, and this is your God, O Israel, right? Um, so the word there is the Hebrew word Elohim. And um, the thing you need to know is that the word Elohim can be translated either God, plural, or God's, sorry, God singular, or God's plural. And different translations will choose differently, right? So if it's God's, then the idea is that this is, this is a pagan, these are pagan gods, right? But if it's singular, God, then it's the God of Israel. Does that make sense? We don't know, because it's Elohim, which means, it's like the English word sheep. When I say sheep, am I talking about a bunch of sheep or one sheep? Depends on the context. I believe that um, the text is talking about one singular God for two reasons, right? The God of Israel. Number one, um, there's only one calf. Behold your gods, 
or is it behold your God? One, one, one statue, one animal, right? And then I think the clincher is if you look at verse 5, right? It says, let us make a feast to the Lord, all caps. What is the word Lord, all caps? Yahweh. Yahweh, it's the covenant name of God. So let us bow down and worship the Lord, Yahweh. So this is God. This is the image of God that they've made, right? Um, why? From the story, from the context, why did they make this? Why did they make this image of God? They needed something to look at. Why? Because they were unsure where Moses was. They needed something to focus on. Yes, they were unsure. So they needed a sense of assurance, right? They felt afraid, right? And so they wanted a God. So they didn't like the fact that Moses, wait here, I'll come back. And they're waiting, and it's too long. They're like, God should be back by now. Moses should, should be back. So in other words, what do they want? They want a God that they can control. They want a God who sort of fits into their conception of time and, and, and the schedules, right? They want a God that assures them, the God, a God that um, will help them help their manage their fears. But notice, they make this image... <laughs> And it's a complete and total distortion of God. Because is God a golden calf? The answer is no. Um, it's, he's not... Uh, uh, th- this completely misrepresents God. Now, let's just pause here for a moment. Because, you know, we look at this and we say, absurd, of course that's not God. But to ancient peoples, this made a lot of sense. It was a very compelling image. Why? What, what, what is some of the good things about this image? It's hard for us modern people to appreciate, right? But what are some good things, like positive attributes of a golden calf that help them to think about God? Strength. Yeah. So it's a gold, It's a calf. It's a little bit hard for us to appreciate this, but this is a yearling bull. So it's a male cow. You know, we're like, okay. Well, if you guys know anything about agricultural uh, farming, um, you have a bunch of women cows and one man cow, right? So if you have a man cow, that's good because you can have lots more cows with a man cow, right? So a golden calf is incredibly valuable, right? This is a yearling bull. He's virile. He's strong. What else? What other good attributes do we see from this image? Anything else? Amanda? Yeah, so golden means what? It's made of gold. Gold is the most valuable thing. It's hard for us to, my picture belies how beautiful this would have been, right? It's pure gold. It's sparkling. So what does this say about who God is? God is strong. He's of incredible worth. He's valuable, right? And so they said, of course, this speaks to God. This magnifies, this testifies to God. But of course, it's obvious to us, this is a complete and utter distortion. God is not a calf. He's not even a golden calf, right? Um, it's obvious to us, but it, it wasn't obvious to them. That's the point I'm trying to make. You know why? Because um, how did they come up with this image? Their culture. And culture is one of those things that you're never aware of, right? Culture is like, it's like asking a fish. So what's it like to swim in water? 
And the fish is like, what water? <laughs> right? It's the air we breathe. It's everything around us. And so it's really hard for us to be aware of what's going on. And therefore, it's incredibly easy when we make an image of God to create something that our culture tells us that is not based on the Bible. And we have no idea that we're even doing that because culture is all around us. We, we're not aware. And so our culture tells us God is like this and not like that. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people where they've said to me, I don't think God would be like that. I don't think God would say that. I don't think God would act like that. And where are they coming up with these kind of conclusions about God? Not from the Bible, but from their own sort of imagination, right? They have created an image of God in their mind, and this is the way God should be. And God, and so the prohibition of the second commandment is, don't do that. Don't imagine God. Because when you use your imagination, what are you ultimately doing? That's, first of all, that's not the true God, right? But secondly, you're creating a God in your own image, a God you can control, a God in your mind that sort of fits into your life, that doesn't contradict you, that doesn't um, speak truth to you, but a God of convenience, right? Just like the Israelites. They said, Aaron, make us a God. I'll give you a golden calf. Every image that we come up with is ultimately going to be a golden calf. So that's that's what's being prohibited. Um, and you can see that argument in Isaiah chapter 40. So where are we? Um, Harry, can I have you read Isaiah 40? Yeah, do you see what the prophet and what God is saying here? He's saying, God is saying, I am infinitely higher and greater than you can possibly imagine. Your puny human mind (laughs) cannot understand the depths of the majesty and the profound uh, wisdom of who God is. So, don't try to imagine, don't try to speculate, but rather listen patiently and receive um, what I have to say, right? How can we possibly, how can man who is finite possibly in our minds conceive of an infinite God? The distance between God and us is infinite, and therefore we cannot, right? I think this very much flies against our popular modern culture, because the modern culture um, um, puts humanity at the center, and therefore God is sort of like... um, you know, it's kind of like that bumper sticker, right? God is my co-pilot. Um, we think of God as someone who is there, like a buddy, who helps our lives and makes it easier. But the biblical God is, God is at the center. And we are his subjects, and we should listen to him. And we should seek to know him 
that's a true authentic relationship rather than us sort of like coming up on our own, everything on our own. So that leads to me to point number three. Oh, let me just pause right there. Um, are there any questions? Yes. I have a question. I don't know how to articulate that. Like, because if I look at the first and second commandment, it almost feels like the same then. Because the second commandment, if we make, if we imagine God to be a certain way, then we're worshiping that God. Yeah. Which, but then isn't that like the same as like the first one where... That's very good. I brought that up at, at the very beginning, which is a lot of people say the first and second commandments are awfully similar. I agree. They are related. And I think there's a, a beautiful eloquence to that because God says, I have only 10 words to tell you, 10 words to live by. The first word is keep me first. The second word is keep me first. Mm. He repeats himself. It's like Fight Club. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like Fight Club. So why does God repeat himself? Right? In many ways, I mean, couldn't this be subsumed under commandment yeah. number one? Why does God waste the word? I have only ten words. First word, keep me first. Second word, keep me first. Because this is that important. And because we so easily forget. A lot of times people think the first commandment, second commandment are the easiest to keep. And it's those latter commandments, murder, adultery, lies. That's hard to keep. Wrong. First two commandments is the hardest to keep. We break this Every day, every moment, we breathe in and out, breaking this commandment. That's the point. That's a great question. Any other questions? I'll have to steal that from you, Fight Club. Yes. First rule: There. What is it? You don't talk about. Oh, oh you don't talk about Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched it too. All right, number three. Um, so. If you look at the, if you, if you, if you look at the commandment, right, it says God is jealous, right? And I put in another verse, um, Ashley, can I have you read Exodus 34 there? Yeah, <laughs> it's a little bit redundant. My name is jealous and I am jealous. Um, and you see that in Deuteronomy chapter 4, you see that in Exodus chapter 20, God says again and again, with regards, don't make image for that provokes me to jealousy. Um, so how do we account for this or explain this? Um, first of all, God's jealousy is not like petty human jealousy. Petty human jealousy is illegitimately desiring something that's not yours. Your neighbor has a new car. You say, oh, I wish I had that car. Well, that car is not yours, and you're not being content with what God has given you. So that's a sinful jealousy. But God's jealousy is a holy jealousy, which is a jealousy to protect something that is good and right. Sort of like a husband being jealous for his wife. If a husband sees his wife in the arms of, a, of another man, and he says, eh, that's terrible, how sad, how tragic, right? He should be stirred up to jealousy because his marriage is beautiful and good, and he should protect that. So God's jealousy is a good and holy jealousy. And so why is God provoked to jealousy when you make images of him? Imagine um, that uh, 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 there's a married couple and the husband um, has a picture of Heidi Klum in his wallet. And every once in a while, he'll pull out the uh, picture and he'll sigh. And he'll kiss the picture. And he has a picture in his desk office, a framed picture of Heidi Klum. And he stares at her all the time. And his wife is like, what are you doing? Why are you looking at this picture? And his husband says, no worries. She represents you. I think about you when I look at her. Is that a legitimate answer? The wife would say, no, you're cheating on me. 
you love somebody else. You don't love me. And she would be provoked to jealousy. When God says, when you make an image of me, it's not me. It's somebody else. You're loving somebody else. Okay? Any questions on that? All right. Uh, question number four. What is positively commanded in the second commandment? So this is a theme that we're going to look at throughout the Ten Commandments. Notice that all the commandments are articulated as um, no or not, right? It's articulated in the negative. Don't do this. But always implicit in the negative prohibitions is a positive command, right? So here, you shall have no other gods before me. The positive commandment is, command is love the Lord your God with all your, your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And what is the positive command in the second commandment? It's not simply to avoid having false ideas of God, but it is to pursue the knowledge of God with all your strength. Right? It's to know God. And how can we know God? Again, only through this way. Only through God's revelation. Only when we listen to His Word. And therefore, unless we are immersed in Scripture, unless we're soaked in the Word of God, and we're reading the Word of God all the time, unless we're so intimately familiar with the Word of God, we're breaking the second commandment. Because we underestimate the power of culture. Our modern contemporary culture is bombarding us with images, and, and not, not, not image even in just the image sense, graphic sense, but it, our culture is constantly telling us, this is the way God is, this is what God would and wouldn't do, and we're absorbing it. And unless we counteract that, unless we drink the anecdote being scripture, we're, we're, we're breaking the second commandment, right? So Hosea 6. Uh, Scott, can I have you read Hosea 6? Yes, and let me just pause there. Um, I love that language, right? Let us press on to know the Lord. Um, it's an active pursuit. This is not a passive activity, but this is strenuously seeking, longing to know God, right? Keep going. Uh, his going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains, uh, Yeah, I love uh, the imagery here. Um, God is like the showers. It's like the spring rains. We're experiencing that right now. Um, I don't know if you guys know we're in the middle of a drought, uh, a massive drought. And so the, the showers in an agricultural society was incredibly refreshing and renewing. And to know God is like that experience of a dry and thirsty land drinking in the spring waters, right? Um, Jeremiah 9, where am I? Ashley, Ashley, uh, well, I was going to say Ashley Kim, Ashley Jane. Yeah, that he understands and knows me. And let me emphasize here that this is not just simply a cognitive understanding, although it is not less than cognitive understanding, right? Um, you have to know about God. And I love how there's a description of God's attributes. God practices steadfast love. This is covenant love, uh, justice, righteousness, right? Uh, we have a very concrete picture of God here. And it's not just cognitive understanding, but it is a relationship. In, in, the, in the Hebrew language, knowing is never just, you know, I know you. Uh, 
um, uh, know about you, but it's always I know you. I'm a really I'm in relationship with you. Okay. So number five, um, the commandment prohibits man-made images of God. Right. Remember graven, carved images. Yep. Um, and therefore, the fact that this is emphasized, that we're talking about man-made images, therefore, implicit in the command is that God will provide his own image. Okay? Um, a lot of people say, why, why, why do we have the second commandment? Well, maybe because God is spirit, and he's not a physical being, and therefore we shouldn't render him as a... I mean, he's obviously not a golden calf. Um... That's not the reason why. The reason why we're not supposed to make an image is because we are um, short-circuiting God's unfolding revelation. Right? So, um, the Bible is this beautiful narrative story arc. And, and at the beginning, God says, don't make an image. Don't speculate. Don't come up with your own ideas about who I am. But wait. Wait. And I will provide my own image. That's the arc of, of the biblical narrative. And so the second commandment is telling us, wait. Because all throughout the Bible, um, particularly in the Old Testament, this idea that to want to see God is a good thing. right? Because if the second commandment was, was simply a blanket prohibition of all images, then you, you, would, you would also think that it would say, it's wrong to want to see God. You should just listen to God. No, to see God, to want to see God, is good. It's encouraged. So much scripture. I only print two for you. So, um, Dave, can you read that for us? Job 19. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my sin has been, has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Yeah. What is Job's hope? What gives Job solace and, and strength to survive and, and endure his hardships that one day he will see God? That is, a, that is the great hope and vision of, of Job. Psalm 27, um, where are we? Uh, Amanda, can I have you read that? One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to yeah. Notice that it's never just that I may listen to him, that I may be in his presence, but it's also to gaze, to look. That's commended. And therefore, what's the answer? Ultimately, it's Jesus. Right? That God says, wait, because I will show you Jesus. That's my image. Um, in Jesus alone, we see the perfect image of God. So, uh, Anselm, can, or you, you don't have, you, do you have it? Okay, good. Can I have you read uh, John 14? Um, all three passages, actually. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He is the image of the invisible God firstborn of all creation. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and to hold all things by the word of his power. Yeah. It's not an image representing God is wrong per se. 
is that all images incorrectly represent God. But Jesus is the only and perfect exact representation of God. He is the image of God. And now we know why God said, wait, don't speculate, because you're going to come up with this, right? Because when God finally gives us his image, when God finally says, this is who I am, it's nothing like we expect, nothing like we uh, anticipated, because Jesus has no beauty. He's a man of sorrows. He's rejected by men. And God says, that's who I am. That's my image, right? And so rather than um, rather than a golden cap, this sparkling, golden, bobbly, strong thing, what does God say? My image is Jesus. A man dying on the cross in agony for his enemies. Right? This is not the image of God. This is the image of God. Right? Um... Who could have imagined this? Isaiah 53. Can I have a Tracy? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Yeah. Jesus was a man who was despised. He was a man who... When you would just look at him, you would never be struck by him. He was utterly plain-looking, if not ugly. I recently I saw a trailer for a movie, a new movie called The Son of God. I think it's an adaptation of the, the Bible, right? That huge miniseries, the Bible. And I, as I was watching it, I, I was struck by how beautiful Jesus looked in that, in that movie, right? He's so handsome. And then I said, so, oh, who is this actor? Oh, he's a former model, <laughs> I guarantee you Jesus did not look like a model, okay? But Jesus looked absolutely plain. I think that's so astonishing to us. When God gave us his image, he gave us someone who looked really plain, who looked absolutely ordinary, who was from Nazareth, right, this Hoboken town, who spoke with an accent, who had no um, um, physical beauty, but a man of deep compassion, a man of deep humility, and who ultimately dies on the cross. That's the image of God. And therefore, now we understand the reason why God prohibits our own images is because God's true image is radically opposite and opposed to human values. His image is lowly, weak, humble, whereas the image that we would create is what? The image we would create is strong, powerful, domineering. That's our own imagination, but God's image is weak. It's a man dying on the cross. Um, any questions or comments on that? All right, so um, I want to ask the question then. And um, the question is, all right, so Jesus has come. God's true image has come to us. Therefore, are we now authorized? Is it okay to make images of God? Right, because we can make an image of Jesus. And, and let me just simply say at the outset that um, what I'm about to say, my own opinion on the matter, is, you know, it's not a definitive word, <laughs> right? Like, so if you end up disagreeing with me, it's fine, okay? Please, you know, don't get angry with me. Um, there are a lot of people who think it's fine to make images of Jesus. I guess I really just gave away my answer. Um, 
I don't think so. So my answer is, I don't think it's legitimate and right still to make images of Jesus, and I'll tell you why. First of all, even when we make images of Jesus, it's really bad a lot of times, right? Like again, that model, that you know, handsome, pretty boy, and then. What about the old images from the 1950s, right? You have this Aryan Jesus who's blue-eyed, blonde hair. That is, like, totally historically inaccurate, right? That makes me wonder, like, oh, my gosh. First of all, Jesus was Middle Eastern, okay? So he would have looked like a Palestinian, okay? Um, and, and the second thing is that it's interesting that if you look at the New Testament, you never see a description of Jesus. Have you noticed that? You never see a description of Jesus. Why? I think because... Um, we're still supposed to wait. We're still longing to see Jesus, right? Um, we walk by faith in this life, not by sight. And one day, the Bible promises, remember I said that the second commandment is asking us to wait for God's unfolding revelation, right? And God says, wait until I reveal my true image, but that true image has still yet to come in glory and in consummation. And so we're still waiting to see Jesus with an unveiled face. When is that? David Ohm, when, when, when are we going to see Jesus again? After resurrection. Yeah, at the, at, at the general resurrection, at his second coming, yeah. when he comes again, right? Um, and when we see him then, it's not just like, oh, now we know how you look. <laughs> I was always curious. <laughs> You do look like a Middle Eastern man. <laughs> um, no. To see Jesus is a transformative event. We will be changed. That is the great hope of all Christians, is to behold Jesus, and in that moment we will be transformed. We will be like him. So let's read these two passages. Um, Catherine, can I have you read both of them? And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Yeah, so what I'm trying to convey to you is the theology of sight. Right? Um, again and again... Um, the Bible tells us we are not people who see, but we are people who hear. Um, but that's not a definitive statement because one day we will see. And that's the final hope. The final hope is that we will see God in Christ, in his beauty. And that's that'll be to our joy forever. Right? Um, so going back to the question, is it okay or is it legitimate to see pictures of Jesus? I would say, you know, I'm a little tolerant on the issue. Because, like, should we have a picture of Jesus and we all, like, sort of gaze at him um, um, and um, use that to help our devotions? I think that's really not good. Um, but on a lesser scale of not good would be, you know, things like, for example, I love the Jesus Storybook Bible, right? Which is a little, like, children's Bible. Um, and so Judah loves it, you know? And he always says, Daddy, you know who this is? I say, who is that? That's Jesus. I think that's sweet and that's great. Um, but I always want to tell Judah, like, you know, that's not like that. We don't know how, <laughs> what it looks like. <laughs> but I think that's, you know, relatively innocent, you know. Um, and so I'm not hard-nosed about it. But, you know, this is why um, uh, uh, I think it, to some degree we Christians are, are non-image people. Um, this is why I deliberately don't use PowerPoint presentations in my sermons. 
um, because um, I think it's appropriate for us to be hearers and waiting rather than people who grasp images. You know, image image grasping is the future hope. So that's my gentle position. You are free to disagree. Obviously, Sally Lloyd Jones, who wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible, disagrees, and I think that's fine. I'm not gonna be angry. Any any questions? And I love her book, so you should. Good for devotional reading, even if you're a grown up. Um, any questions? Absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, people have different scruples about the second commandment, right? And there's a spectrum. Some people have very strong scruples, and so they don't even permit crosses because they say that's an image, right? Um, my own personal feeling is that that's taking things a little bit too far um, because it's not an image of God. Um, it's an image of the cross, and I think um, seeing a cross is helpful because we see this instrument of death upon which our, our Savior uh, loved us. Um, but yeah, I mean, my own personal churchly aesthetics is I'm not an imagey guy, so I, I I like things to be relatively plain. So I don't know if that makes sense. So what you're saying is that like I, I wouldn't want like a pulpit with a cross on it, I guess. I would just like a plain pulpit, a lectern. So what you're saying is that the cross, the image of the cross, is only helpful when one keeps clear in their mind that it's an instrument of death and not our Lord Himself. Well, yeah. So I mean, there's like the cat. Catholic crucifix, which has um, a figurine, a Jesus figurine on on, on, on it, um, I think that's less helpful or less good, um, because here you're you're saying this is this is this is God, this is Jesus, and I again go back to the Heidi Klum illustration. Jesus is going to say, "That's not me. <laughs> you got the wrong guy." So I think. Um, to that degree, like I feel like we have to have a modesty or a reticence to image Jesus because we have this great eschatological, we have this great um, future hope of seeing him in the future. I don't know if that answers your question, or do you have any like further thoughts? So it's like a big debate among people with Second Commandment scruples. Or maybe it's sort of like. It's okay. You just have to recognize that that's not any image of God is inherently limiting and forcing perspective of God. So I'm thinking like there's a Sistine Chapel where there's an image right. of this God grandfatherly guy, grandfatherly figure, like touching, and he's hand. really buff. Okay, he's like a <laughs> so it's like God's really part of there, but even then, that's limiting. Yeah. So is Michelangelo breaking the second commandment? Mm-hmm. I would say he's closer to breaking the second commandment than maybe Sally Lloyd Jones. Because it is, the Sistine Chapel is there for our devotions, is there for us to gaze upon and think about God. And I don't think it's helpful to look at this old white man with flowy beard and really muscular. Because <laughs> again, is, is God muscular? I think God is this weak vessel who allowed himself to be crucified. Yeah. So. I think it's just like, any, it's okay to have those images Yeah, sure. 
about the crosses, I think it's also um, helpful to remember that there's a continuum between uh, between literal representation in pictures and words, and where the, the, the space that crosses, plain crosses, tend to occupy is somewhere in between these, you know, figures of Jesus, yeah, on a, on a crucifix, and um, a cross that's just printed on a page, as, for example, in, in some books, uh, you know, blah, 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 and then, sure. Or like a Bible, have like a cross on it, yeah. So then, on the on the continuum, we, we do want to exercise wisdom about um, what is helpful and what's not. But uh, it's a little bit it's it's harder than some people uh, than some reformed Christians think it is to to say these are images and these are not images. And yeah, I, I I completely agree with you. Like, um, it's far more complex than perhaps we admit. Uh, so I'm not trying to get you guys nailed on a specific position. I simply want you guys to think, have a reticence or a modesty about images of God. I think for a lot of modern Christians, they never even thought of it. Right? A lot of contemporary Christians have like, I didn't even know. I thought no golden calves. I thought Sistine Chapel was okay. No. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I just want you guys just to, I just want to shift you, reorient you. And ultimately, I think, like, if you focus on, is, it, is, is a cross okay? Is a Sistine Chapel okay? I think, to some degree, we're a little bit missing the point. The point is, you need to fill up your heart and your mind and your soul and your, and your thoughts with who God is in Christ in Scripture. So that's what I would, like, encourage everyone to do, which is to be Scripture-soaked scripture people. Not simply say, aha, I never looked at the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> right? That's, it's not just prohibition. It is a positive command. To be filled with Christ in your heart and in your mind. So, yes. Yeah, uh, so, so when you pray, um, who do you see? Because, because when I talk on the phone with someone, I imagine them. Mm. Right. It's kind of unnatural to talk to someone uh, you can't imagine. Mm. Yeah. So I think the way Scripture would articulate it is you're supposed to wait. So you don't see now. We live. We 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 walk by faith, not by sight. Right, we see through a glass darkly. And so for now, our vision is obscured. But we want to see. We long. We, we wait. It's kind of like if, Ezra, you ever had a, an arranged marriage, right? And you're talking to your fiancé, mm-hmm. who your parents have arranged for you, but you've never met her. Mm-hmm. So you can't, you don't know what she looks like. Sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so you talk to her, right? And she says, this, this is who I am, right? And you say, send me a picture. I don't have a smartphone, so. You know. <laughs> yes. It sounds terrible only if your parents don't have perfect judgment. Mm, oh, that's a good insight. Okay. <laughs> oh, wouldn't this be kind of framed with just only within the context of an object of worship. So, I mean, from an arts perspective, people create things by way of expression. Yeah. And you can do it by way of expression, like the Sistine Chapel, for example. If it's made for an, as an object to worship God, yeah, totally, that's like, uh, But if it's just an expression of God's strength, you know how, like, some churches have a huge cross and huge ceilings so mm. that when you come in, you feel small. Mm. Like, it's, it's just kind of a representation, not something to be worshipped, but various aspects of God's character. 
Yeah, so I definitely, I, I agree with you, like, it's a lot more complex than we can even address in this short class. Um, I would say that I think to be a Christian means that you have um, the kind of um, scruples that you're very hesitant to, tr- to go down that path. Like, wh- I think about, for example, The Simpsons. I think The Simpsons is a great work of art. It's a great work of satire. I love to watch The Simpsons. But every time they depict God in The Simpsons, I cringe. I'm like, that's not God, right? I mean, God is like this big guy with, you know, you know toga feet, and, you know, he's like this Roman deity. And, and so I think every image, to some degree, distorts it captures some aspects, but it doesn't capture the full spectrum of who God is. And therefore, I'm not saying it's wrong to draw images of God in art. I think art is a wonderful way to um, to uh, be expressive. But there should be some degree of reticence or some degree of hesitation to do it. I don't, I don't know if you want to interact with that or no. <laughs> So given that, I guess, if I were to go to Rome and visit the Sistine Chapel and look at all these scenes of, you know, you going in and out of yeah, yeah. the last judgment and stuff, I, I guess I would be looking at these images and thinking, oh, so this is this is what Michelangelo thought of God, rather mm-hmm. than this is what God necessarily um, is like or looks like. This is, I, I guess I would be looking at it that I would read a fictional book in which God was necessarily involved. Yeah, I agree. Please don't take what I said as you cannot be this. <laughs> I highly commend it. I, I think it would be great. Yeah, so I think to be a Christian means that you, you, you're circumspect. You know, you think on multiple levels. Yes. I was just going to say, I think just from all the discussions and everyone's viewpoint, uh, my main key takeaway as a Christian is that these certain images or, you know, whichever view you may have should be just a simple appreciation and reminder of who God is. So anytime that I see a cross, I'm thinking, oh, that reminds me of God, and should just leave it at that, versus going to, oh my gosh, that cross is a little too big for me, <laughs> a little too small, or there are crosses Jesus that are gold? Oh, that makes me Yeah, crazy. I mean, instead of focusing so much on the details, just that as a Christian, we should take away, it should be just a simple reminder and appreciation that this is my God and yeah. I'm so grateful for who he is. Yeah. I think that's a good thought to end on. Let me pray for us and we will dismiss, be dismissed. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this chance to meditate and study your word. And I pray that as the writer of Hebrews says, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus. That we would so fill our hearts and minds with scripture, with the gospel narratives, with um all of these, um, re- uh, your revelation of who God, of who Jesus is, I pray that that would be our food, our drink, um, the air we breathe. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Right, thank you, guys.